in our community, you know. What's that girl say? I want to see you in a Ken Ganley, Ken Ganley Kia, you know. I, well, next time we go get a car, guess where I'm heading? The promotion is all there, you know. I, I think now they'll even pay your payment for two years. You don't have to do anything. I'm thinking, well, holy cow. Hmm. But we are, we, are, we are inundated with promotion today of everything that we, we need. And, and um, we, I, I'm a little concerned about the Internet. I said one night, I, watched, I like to watch Facebook with this, these sawmills. And the older the sawmill, the more I like to watch it. And they cut down these great big trees. Do you, see, do you know what I'm talking about? And then they make slabs out of them, that they make tables out of those great big slabs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, one day I said to Phyllis Ann, I said, you know, I've never seen them make a table. I'd like to see them make a table. That was in our, in our room at home. Guess what, guess what I saw the next day on my, on, my, on, my iPad, on my iPad? I saw them making tables. Now that's concerning, friends. Amen? confused about stuff like that maybe I should say I'd like to see somebody in heaven the next day well the Beatles the Beatles just didn't happen I, 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 I don't know if you're aware of what what came about them in 1964 getting off that plane but they were a long long time before that inundated in our culture before they even stepped on our ground. And it was Brian Epstein. Brian Epstein, uh, if you know that name at all in music and production, he was way ahead of his time. He said the only way the Beatles are going to be popular in the United States is if they're already there before we get there. And so what he did is he hired, he hired hundreds of teenage girls. Hired, hired these girls to do nothing more than to act like they were crazy. He hired, he hired policemen and, and uh, their cars, and he hired ambulances and, their, and the people in them, you know, the EMTs. He hired all these people and, um, and, um, and told them to act nuts when the camera was on them. So he, did, he got them all in place, and he took different settings, you know. Some of them, the settings, if you, I, can, I can picture them in my eyes. Some of them, they were coming off of a bus. Some of them, they were getting off of a plane. Some of them, they were just coming down off the stage. And there'd be all these girls around them. It had to be girls, you know. I suppose there were some guys. I'm not sure. But all these girls around them, and they would actually faint. And, and they would show that on TV and, and in, this, in this advertisement, this promotion. They would show them fainting, and then the cops coming over and helping them, the MTs get them. And the, the ambulance would run off with them to the hospital, going nowhere, you know. And they would do all that stuff and, and, and have these girls holding up signs, I'm a Beatlemania person and, and, and I love the Beatles. He had all these promotions put together, Brian did. And then he sent them to every major, peop, every major you know, radio or TV pers- personality in the United States and said, here, play these for us. And long before 1964, Beatlemania was promoted. Anybody remember that? Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know, you, even the police officers was supposed to um, try to hold these kids back, and, but they were losing a battle that, that they had to portray on TV. 
And then in 1964, they stepped off the plane. And guess what they came to? Thousands upon thousands of teenage girls, real girls, no hired people, moms, passing out on the, on the airport at Kennedy because the Beatles stepped off the plane. I'm telling you, talk about the Beatle fever, Beatle mania. It was there, and it's been there ever since. Um, uh, of course, I think they did sing well, and they did write good songs, but the purpose of all that they did, all that happened to get them to where they were at, was nothing more than that, that um, promotion that came about because of, of Brian Epstein's vision of who these people could be. Wow. So we compare that today with Jesus walking into Jerusalem and a couple million people there for Passover. And we see him coming in (laughs) with no promotion. Oh, I think he had some, but no promotion. Um, Because it's hard to, you know, he, he constantly said, don't tell anybody what's going on, you know. Don't put this out. He would tell all the people he, he would heal. He'd say, don't tell anybody about this. Don't, don't do anything about it. Just, just be happy in your healing, you know. Just be happy in what you're doing. He told the disciples, don't tell anybody. Let's just keep this low key. No promotion whatsoever. Jesus needed none. But it's hard to not promote someone who's healing the sick like crazy, huh? Who's um, raising the dead who's um, feeding 5,000, who can control the wind and the air and the rain. It's hard not to um, have that promotion carry itself. And I think that's what happened when the people saw this crowd coming with Jesus. The rest of the people joined in. And today, we're going to look at them joining in and how that affects us and where we're at joining in on the ride with Jesus, okay? It comes to us in, um, in um, Mark chapter 11, in the first 11 verses, okay? Follow along with me if you can. As Jesus and his disciples are drawing near to the city of Jerusalem. They come to the villages of Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples into the village there. And he said to them, near the entrance to the village, there you'll find a colt. A colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. He said, but if somebody says anything to you, just say, you know, it's okay. We're doing this because the Lord needs it and he's going to return it. I'm doing my version of this scripture, okay? Fred's having fun. The two disciples did what Jesus said. They went into the village, found the colt outside the Uh, in the street, uh, tied at the doorway, just as Jesus said it would be there. And as they untied it, some of the people standing around there said, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we're here to um, get this for Jesus. They They told these people exactly what Jesus said. And so they said, okay, all right, all right, just make sure you bring it back, I'm sure. So when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over that colt and Jesus sat on it and now he was ready to ride into the city not in triumph but in humility and then Mark says something 
extraordinary happened. He said many people along the way started spreading their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. They shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Amen, my friends. Um, This is the word of God for all of his people. Yeah, sorry, Fred. Thanks be to God. Didn't Fred and Tammy do good? Praise God. I told him it would be different. Thanks be to God, indeed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this day that we come to worship you and to shout from the rooftops that you have come to save us, and we are thankful for that. Be with us as we hear your word today, as we have felt your, your presence with us as we sang these songs and prayed these prayers, said hi to each other here and at home. We just ask, Lord God, that you would bless this time and open our hearts to hear you, hear what you have to say to us. May your servant's words be nothing more than yours. And we pray this in your in your son's holy and precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. <coughs> it was a crazy scene, I can imagine. It would, been, it would have been much like the Beatles getting off that plane for the first time, only there would have been a whole lot more people than just the crowd that, uh, that gathered there that day at Kennedy. Um, it would have been an extremely amount of, of people along the... the the streets of Jerusalem and to see him walk, walk coming in on a donkey would have been overwhelming and people would have joined in just to be part of the, of the excitement. Um, sort of like at, um, at um, New Orleans, huh? People just join in to have all the fun that they can while they're there. It, it's, um, it's a strange thing. Oh, I want to I share three thoughts with you this morning about this scripture and see if we can put it into our lives and see where we're at. I think, as powerful as this was, first of all, it, this whole thing was based on misguided, misguided expectation by everybody there. Misguided in the sense that they were expecting Jesus to come and do one thing instead of he did it something else. Um, they, they had been hearing nothing for 400 years. It was quiet. And then all of a sudden, there's rumors of this Savior coming. And so they, they are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they, wasn't, they were not saying Hosanna for the right reason. Their misguided um, expectation was that he was going to save them from the Roman um, tyranny. From Roman rule, he was going to come in and take care of everything that needed to be taken care of. Um, just as Simon Maccabeus did several hundred years before. He came in and freed them from the Roman rule. Riding on a big old stallion, you know, he was much different than Jesus. He, they were saying Hosanna, which literally means save us. Hosanna means save us today. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting word. It's an interesting word. I don't think people even in Jesus' time was running around saying Hosanna to each other. Hosanna is not a word that hardly has ever spoken except on this day. And it's mostly a religious word. I, don't, I suppose it's in the dictionary, but 
I don't know. I don't think it's in any of our lexicons or, or you know, places where we'd go find this. Somebody look that up. Somebody look up Hosanna and see if it's in, in our, our everyday. It's, it's, a, it's a religious word that's spoken today, and it means literally nothing more than save us, God. And so the people that were joining in had expectations that he was going to save them from everything. Misguided. Even, I think, I'm sorry to say this, even the disciples and the people that have been following Jesus for these three years were probably thinking, this is it. We have it. That's what Judas wanted. Amen? That's all he wanted. He didn't care about anything except let's get freed up. You know, everybody wanted to get freed I wonder, I wonder how it is with us. Is that, are we, to these 2,000 years later, still misguided in our expectations of who Christ is in our lives? Did he, that, you know, many people ask Christ to come into their lives expecting him to change everything and to fix everything and make everything good in our lives and we won't have any more problems. Amen? Hmm. Not true, is it? Not true. It's a, it's a crazy place we live in and our, our expectations um, get shattered, get confused. I remember the story of the, of the mom and dad and, and two kids that moved into a cul-de-sac, a big cul-de-sac with 20 or 30 houses on the street in a circle, you know, and and, um, and it was a Saturday morning, and mom and dad were exhausted and, and tired, and the 12-year-old got excited. <laughs> Kept waking up mom and saying, let's do something, let's do something. And, and um, she finally got him up and got him dressed and said, here, go play in the yard and quit fooling around. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to sleep a little bit longer. So <laughs> about 30 minutes later, this kid come in and went back up, running up to mom and dad, and he says, you won't believe it in this community, but everybody has a doorbell. And they all work. Mom and dad had some misguided expectations that day. So that young man, didn't he? Isn't that crazy how we do that stuff? Um, excitement can be misguided. Um, because you know everybody there wanted to sleep on Saturday morning. I find it interesting that in this whole thing, Jesus chooses a donkey. A donkey of all things, you know. A donkey's like um, that one comedian that gets no respect, you know. I forget his name, but you know him. Rodney Dangerfield, thank you. Um, well, a donkey does have um, standing in our lives today, oh. Because um, of um, um, oh, the guy in Shrek. You know who I'm talking about. Um, played the donkey. Eddie Murphy, of all people. Of all people, gave the donkey respect in, in there. But Jesus came in on that donkey, which should have, should have helped everybody in their misguided expectations. Because the coming in on a donkey meant that he was a servant. He came in in humility and lived out his servanthood even in his last week there, washing the disciples' feet, taking care of the temple, doing all the things that he did. 
I wonder, as we ponder this today, I wonder how we are doing in our expectations when we yell out Hosanna. We probably don't holler Hosanna, but we do holler out, Lord God, save us. Save me, please. What are we expecting him to do? What are we expecting them to do in our lives? Because you see, I think that the misguided expectation builds up on the second thing that we find in this scripture if we look at it closely. And it's a reminder for us that God is still at work in our lives. He was, even though there was 400 years of silence, God was still at work in the Israelite lives and the nation Israel, the Jewish people. And it's important for us to understand that, that he's still working even when we can't see him there. And the problem for them back there and for us today, if you want to see Jesus, are you ready? If you want to see Jesus, you have to look for him. Amen? I can take care of this myself. I don't have to look for Jesus. That's our attitude today more than ever. I can take care of all these little problems. I don't need Jesus to do that. And all the time, Jesus is in the background saying, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You should turn this over to me. Crazy concept um, that we think we don't have to, to see Jesus in the midst of our lives, but we do. I like the, I like um, oh, the great story of, of um, Alfred Hitchcock. Do you know Alfred Hitchcock? Uh, he had a phobia about being on screen. I don't know if you knew that or not. But it was one of the things he didn't like to do. Um, but all of his friends felt, because he was such a great director, because he was such a great writer, because he was this great guy, and I suppose uh, he was conscious like me of being a big person. And, and he didn't like being on screen. But I want to tell you, the first time I saw him, was a shock, and then I started looking it up and seeing that there was a couple places that he's at in movies. In The Birds, if you watch The Birds, you know The Birds, that old movie? He's winding a clock up. But you have to look, you have to look, oh, it's just a guy winding the clock. Well, no, not really. It's, it's Alfred Hitchcock, his first cameo ex- uh, experience in, tele- in movies. And then um, his movie, Dow M for Murder, he was... Um, seen just in a real quick blur walking a dog. And that's, what, that's the way we are. I think, I think we have a problem of seeing Jesus because we just don't take time to look for him. I like to read Philip Yancey. Do you know him, Philip Yancey? If you haven't read his book on prayer, I'm going to tell you one of his devotions. His book on prayer is um, powerful and on his, in his book, he wrote about um, um, an, ins- a, a, an inspirational uh, meditation that he read um, called An Ocean Breeze. And it was about a guy who uh, saw this, uh, woke up one morning, didn't have anything to do, so he turned the TV on, and he saw this guy painting a picture. And in his mind, he watched this guy put all the c- picture together, you know, of this, um, I think it was a desert scene that they were talking about. But he put all this picture together, and then when the guy was done, he said, oh, that's perfect. But then he said, oh, I think there's a tree that lives over here. And he put this great big black mark on this perfect canvas. 
And the guy got upset watching him and said, oh, he just ruined that picture. He just ruined it. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Bob Ross said, let's put a little little tree over there, you know. I think it lives right over here, you know. And, and a guy said, I'm gonna, I, I want to read this to you. The guy said, I was upset that he ruined this picture. And then he started putting life to this um, house and this slanted thing, whatever it was. He said he put life to it. And when it was all done, the pic- picture was much more complete than whenever I thought it was done. Now listen to his response. He says, as I sat there watching that program that day, I was really surprised my f- myself to find myself clinging at many of the moves the artist made with his brush. I got to thinking how typical that is of my Christian life. Many times in my life, after much struggling and hardship, I have come to a place where I am comfortable. We get there, don't we? Where I am comfortable. As I was basking in the goodness of the Lord, God had has chosen to institute a change that I neither expected nor wanted in my life. Hmm. During those times, I cried out, No, Lord, you're ruining my picture. We're going to tell the painter when to make the next stroke, eh? But often as I allowed God to continue his work on my canvas, the canvas of my life, to my surprise, the picture would begin to look pretty darn good. I would then thank him for the addition and sometimes even the subtraction to my painting. And then he says this, I think that are profound words. There have been times, however, that the change never looked good to me at all. Are you there? During these times when I don't see everything as clearly as God does, I have to understand that he is still the painter, not me. He says then at the end, he says, I take comfort knowing that every situation, though it may be ugly and bad, it may be good, I take every situation and know that it is painted by the master craftsman and can be used for good in my life. Mm. And Bob Ross would stand back and say, okay, that's done. And then he would sign it. (laughs) It's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for those folks back then because of their misguided anticipation and, and then not seeing Jesus for who he was. We have the same problem today. We expect Jesus to do something and he doesn't do it and he ruins our painting. But in the midst of all that, I think the key that we have to understand, as many did back then, is we have to keep looking, looking for Jesus. Misguided expectations. Thinking that Jesus has done painting our picture when he hasn't. And then lastly... um, I think the most important thing for us to understand on Palm Sunday is that for you and me, it's our job. It's our job to make God visible so other people can see them and get rid of their misguided (laughs) expectations. Very difficult, isn't it? Very difficult, extremely difficult for us to be that person that God wants us to be, to lead people 
to um, see Jesus and see him for who he really is and let him begin painting their life. It's difficult for us to do that because of our short-sightedness ourselves. It's difficult for us to do that if we're not saying, God, I need to see you in this situation. Show me, show me how you're painting this picture. Let me see it and, and, and help me get involved in the painting. There was a, there was a young lady, um, uh, I don't know when she did this, but it's in guidepost. Um, I, um, I, I text, or I, in the comment thing on the internet, I texted um, um, any, anything that had to do with, with um, sacrifice and being a witness in difficult places. That was my parameter that I put up. And I got all these things, and I, some of them were really crazy, you know, and stupid, and some of them were really out there. Some of them were good, but then I found this one with the title on it, um, um, The Daily Bread. So I thought, oh, that's a good one. So, and I didn't even read it. I just knew that The Daily Bread was something I trusted. So I, I clicked on it, and it told a story. Are you ready? told a story about Joanna. Joanna has been a, um, a pretty good... Um, person to for the BBC they have made uh, two documentaries on her Joanna was a young uh, girl of mixed birth um, very uh, I they said she was very um, pretty she decided that God had called her to ministry in South Africa where she was from she called she felt God had called her to this ministry in the worst prison that they had in South Africa. Full of people who would, would uh, rape you in the twinkling of an eye, kill you and even quicker. Um, this place was just a terrible place to be, I un- that's the way I understand it. They averaged around 300 murders a year inside the place. Can you imagine? I wouldn't want to be sent there. She was sent there, and Philip Yancey asked her what in the world it was that made her ministry so powerful. Because after several years of this young woman, beautiful young woman, going in to be with these despicable people, the one year that they saw success, only two people were in a riot, were in a, a scuffle. Two people. 300 had been getting killed. Two people were in a scuffle. He said, why, why did that happen? And I want to read you the, her response because I think it touches our hearts and tells us where we should be. She looks at Philip Yancey, who's um, a great author, great theologian, and she says, he asked her where was Jesus at in this whole thing. And she looked at him, uh, he said, in a very powerful way and said well Philip Jesus was there all the time all I had to do was make him visible that's our chore friends to make Jesus Christ visible we don't have to go to a prison do we we should go to our community our family the people where we live and be be that that um, that Bible that they might never see again. You see, the m- misunderstanding, uh, uh, the expectation that was not really happening, and the fact that they didn't see God doing what God was doing, 
was because they were looking for something else and Jesus came, as, as Christine said, Jesus came to start a whole new thing. A whole new thing. He came, he came and, and destroyed Passover. And now we have Holy Communion because we don't have to sacrifice anymore. Amen? We don't have to do all those rituals anymore because we're in this dispensation of grace. He chose to start something new if we are to look at it closely and see him involved in it. He chose to use a band of rebel rousers, people you wouldn't even think of asking to do things. He chose to use them and they in turn started being that one that would show them, show them Jesus Christ and make him visible in their life. And now, you know, it's literally millions of people, millions of people who are saying, I believe because he has saved me. Not from my, my situations, but he saved my soul. And as I think about that and pose the question, do we understand that we are those people that are supposed to tell the story, the great news of God's love for, for all of humanity to everyone we know? The great news that he has come to literally save us, not from our situations, but from eternity away from him. He has come to save us. And the question we need to ponder in our hearts by ourselves is, am I ready to do that? Am I willing to do that? Do I want to do it? And then we need to ask that of LaGrange United Methodist Church. Are we a church that wants to do that? And then we need to ask it of our whole community. Are we a community that is shouting Hosanna, not just one day a year, but every day and saying it, with the right expectation, knowing that God is at work still painting in our lives. Amen? That's what, uh, that's what the Palm Sunday is all about. It's no wonder they turned so drastically on him because he was not meeting their needs. So let's get Barnabas out there and let him kill people, but let's kill this good guy because it doesn't matter. You and I today know that it does matter, that one day because Christ is alive and leading the church, one day will come when there will be no more of this ugly racism and, and political unrest and all this garbage that we're dealing with today. And everyone will have that life of living in dignity one day. One day. But we have to be helping everybody to get to that one day. That's our ministry, growing in Christ, simply to help other people grow in Christ. Amen? <laughs> That's an awful lot for you on Sunday. Are you okay with all that? Don't expect God to do anything more than what he's going to do. He's going to save your soul. And thank him for that. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love today. Thank you for writing into our lives. Thank you for helping us understand that sometimes we're misguided in our expectations. And sometimes we think we're the one in control. Help us to not do that. But help us always in our heart. And every, every alley and every chance we get, help us to make you visible to someone you send our way. Help us to live. Hmm. Help us to live 
a Palm Sunday that leads us to Easter. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray that today in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You know, and if you don't know that, that Savior today, Palm Sunday is a good day to know him. Invite him into your heart. If you need that, come see me, okay? And we'll pray together. Let's stand together. I, I'm gonna, I asked Fred to do one more time. Well, I didn't ask him, but it's on the, on the screen. Let's stand and sing a blessing together with him, okay?